Hey, Rockheads. If you haven't already checked out Music to Code By, you really should, especially if you need to focus on anything, like programming. But it's not just good for programming. It's also great for kids doing homework. It's great for reading, great for writing, anything that requires your concentration. The results speak for themselves. I've got hundreds of satisfied customers. Go check out their comments at mtcb.pwop.com. That's mtcb.pwop.com. .NET Rocks, episode 1182, with guest Amy Palamountain. Recorded Thursday, August 20th, 2015. Hey, it's .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. We're here for another hour. It's uh, going to be a good one. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm, I'm always excited, but today is going to be really good. We're doing a special Kiwi version, that's New Zealand version, of, uh, uh, of .NET Rocks. That's two New Zealanders to one Connecticutite. Yeah, you're in trouble, man. Yeah, but uh, Amy Palamountain's here. She'll be coming on in just a little bit. But first, let's roll the funky music. Well, Richard... Today I'm going to start a little series uh, based on a Twitter account that was made uh, known to me. And the Twitter account is called at Internet of Shit. Nice. And this is basically all the crazy contraptions. This is the Richard the Toy Boy section, you know, the Mondays bit for .NET Raw. I mean, for Twitter, right? So, okay. So this is basically all of the little IoT devices that that are, are sort of like a solution uh, looking for a problem. Right. You know, some of them are good products, but the way that they connect them, I mean, take my fridge, for example, you know, it's good. It has a app that does absolutely nothing, but just the fact that you have an app is the cool part about it. So uh, this is where I found this particular one. Go to www.rollscout.com. Rollscout.com. R-O-L-L. S-C-O-U-T. Oh, no. Not really. I'm serious. This is, this this is gotta a, be a bathroom gag. toilet uh, toilet paper holder that's connected to your phone. <sighs> no. A suite of smart connected bathroom fixtures that monitor the restroom and inform management when anything needs attention. Now, now okay. Management, I can see maybe, okay, in a, re- in a restaurant or something like that where nobody ever goes in the bathroom, you don't really know. But in your house, you know, where you replace your own toilet paper, come on. Really? Is this really a problem? Do I need an app? Yeah. You know, are we back at like pets.com, but now it's Internet of Things? Uh, you know, I don't know. Pets.com was actually pretty. And you know what? Um, I, we were talking to Chris Love, and Chris was telling me, uh, reminding me about the whole Coke machine finger thing so right. so this was at a university i think it was a university and they, basically there was a coke machine on the sixth floor of this dorm room and 
you would get uh, go up into the dorm, into the quad or whatever, up to the sixth floor. And if there was Coke in the Coke machine, you got a Coke. And if there wasn't, you, you just wasted a whole bunch of time and effort. Right. So they hooked up uh, this little server to it with a very simple TCP IP protocol called Finger, which basically they could poll it and it would tell them how many sodas were left in there. So uh, now, you know, that's going to save you some time and effort. But taking the toilet paper off and getting a new piece, a new roll of toilet paper, come on. And look at all the things that are behind it. CNET, TechCrunch, Trend Hunter, Yahoo, BuzzFeed. I think it's a gag. It's got to be a I gag. I don't think so, Richard. This is, people have gone crazy. This is the Internet of Things, my friend. Yeah, I know. Well, Internet of shit. Well, it's a whole other level if you're going to do bathroom stuff. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I just happened to pick this one. Nice. So there you go. All right. I don't know if I'm enlightened, but thank you. Well, you know, I, I'm really sort of mocking. And, and that's what this, basically, <laughs> that's what this, uh, this Twitter feed is doing anyway. It's just okay. sort of making fun of, do we really need this people? You know? All right. So rollscout.com. That's what I got today. Love it. Who's talking to us? Grabbed a comment off of show 1133, the one we dealt with one Phil Hack. We talked a little bit about what's going on with GitHub. That's when he was talking about the GitHub extension for Studio 2015. That's right. And this comment comes from Oscar Zarata, who says, and I hope I got your last name right, sir. Uh, Hi, guys. Excellent show. I'm a Git user, not for my own choice, but because that's the tools we use at work. Right. And I have to say a big thanks to people like Phil, and especially Phil, that have helped me to overtake that hard step to go from my comfort zone, because I've used TFS for ages and ages and was a happy user, over to, to Git and GitHub. Nowadays, I'm using Atlassian tools yep. and the Git extensions, of course, still in studio, and I can do all of my work, and I almost don't miss TFS at all. Yeah. So, well done. And I, I, I like this comment just because it reminds us, we get sort of rooted in, I know how my source control works, right? I don't think about it anymore because I'm a TFS guy or I'm an SVN guy or I'm a Mercurial guy, like... Our VSS guy, if you're a VSS guy, you need to do something. Please. Please. <laughs> <laughs> but there's no one right way to do this stuff. And uh, it's exciting for me that Oscar's, you know, switched over to a new way. Obviously, his employers uh, needed him to do that as well. And he's learned his new tool stack. So congratulations to you, Oscar. And a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of the social media sites we use. We post every show to Facebook and Google+. You can comment there, and we will send you a mug. And, of course, we're on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. And uh, we read them all. So please tweet away. That brings us to our guest. Amy Palamountain is from New Zealand and really likes programming, skiing, and is a bit of a Morrissey fan. We'll wow. try not to hold it against That's her. in your bio? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you're a really a Morrissey fan is what you're saying. She works at GitHub building GitHub Desktop. So, day to day, she writes a ton of C Sharp. She has a background in genetics, high-performance computing, web API design, and JavaScript client-side architectures. These days, she finds herself focusing on what it means to build a slick UI using reactive extensions. Wow, very cool stuff. Welcome, Amy. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Haven't seen you since Portland. Yeah. 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 Very cool place. Portland's a beautiful place. I really had a great time there. Yeah, that was a good show. Uh, GitHub Desktop. This is um, different than any of the other sort of GitHub tools that we use. There is a GitHub for Windows. But what's the what is GitHub Desktop? 
compare to GitHub for Windows? Well, so previously we had GitHub for Mac and GitHub for Windows. And sort of, I guess the, the history there is they, GitHub for Mac was built, uh, I think it started being built in 2012. And then about a year after that, uh, we GitHub released GitHub for Windows. And they were both sort of, I guess you could look at them as Git GUIs, right? Like they were aiming to really solve the, the key, um, pain points around working with Git. Mm-hmm. Uh, GitHub for desktop is really a refocus of the idea of being a Git GUI, and we're focusing less on being a Git GUI and more on being a GitHub client. So it's more around focusing on things like GitHub Flow, being able to quickly open branches, craft really succinct commits, open pull requests, and collaborate with um, with the other people that are working with you on your projects. Right. Okay. Now, I'm a fan of SourceTree, an open source client that we use for GitHub here. Um, if I'm using that, what am I going to see anything that's out of the ordinary there in terms of functionality or usability? In terms of what we we have on GitHub Desktop mm-hmm. compared to... Yeah, well, so the, I think that the key difference here is SourceTree is, is really about um, being a, a Git abstraction, right? Yeah. Um, it's, it, it sort of has a button for, for everything. Right. And uh, the philosophy that we have with GitHub Desktop is very different, I think. We, we like to focus on uh, the usability and the flow aspect, um, making it really obvious to you what it is that should be done next, um, i.e. whether it's time to create a branch, whether it's time to uh, create a really small uh, commit perhaps using line commits. Um, Whether it's time to merge from master, we actually show you the changes um, that are occurring as pull requests are being merged ahead of you so that you can merge them back in. Mm. Um, Yeah, so it's really about about the flow and working with your your peers on on your projects as opposed to just sitting over Git and being a a Git abstraction. And it's particularly for GitHub, right? I mean, GitHub desktop, or, or does it work with other Git repositories? You know, so it's going to work with, with other Git repositories, but some of the features that we have, which are specific to GitHub, won't be available. So, for example, if you're working with a service that doesn't have pull requests, you know, GitHub has pull requests. We have an API that's very specific around pull requests, so you're right. not going to be able to to do that. Um, sure. Yeah. All right. you've but talked it's about going to work as a as a general Git, general purpose Git GUI. That's good. Mm-hmm. Which I think is an interesting point, because you can use GitHub for a lot more than just building software totally and like at, at github it's it's really cool actually a lot of our um the teams that are uh supporting the engineers so things like marketing documentation sales even mm-hmm. um they all use github to coordinate their work and work on projects that are not necessarily uh they're related to software but you know they're not actually software projects in in of themselves um and and at those teams, they're all using GitHub, and they're all using GitHub Desktop to achieve this work because it really is focusing on the collaboration aspect. Yeah, just to make that obvious and easier for folks to to understand. And you've said Flow a couple of times, but I, I don't know that everybody understands that GitHub Flow is a particular concept too. Mm-hmm. And so, re- is GitHub Desktop is really a tool to encourage flow behavior. Yeah, I, I like to look at it that way. Um, I think GitHub Flow is just, it's so easy, you know, you create a branch off master, you work on your little feature, you uh, you get feedback 
uh, during the pull request process, code review um, about what it is that you're actually working on. And then finally, as a team, you've all able to be uh, come to a consensus on what it is that needs to be merged into master and uh, eventually you merge it through. And it's much simpler than, I, I guess, Git, Git flow, which right. is, uh, you know, he- heavy on, on the branching um, and, and very difficult for you to sort of um, keep in your own mind where changes are and when they're ready to be released. So let's say I'm a developer that loves the command line and I love using GitHub on the command line, the Git tools and all that stuff. What is um, going to tempt me to use GitHub for desktop, GitHub desktop? I think it really comes down to the flow. So we've got this really awesome a new piece of the puzzle, which we call the comparison graph. And it allows you to visualize your changes um, compared to the branch that you've branched off. So in most cases, this is going to be master. So you'll see all the commits that you've created on your own branch. But you'll also see, uh, because we do an automatic um, background fetch, as pull requests are being merged into master, you'll actually see those sliding in um, onto master. So you, you really get a sense of the work that you're doing and how it relates to the work that other people are doing within your project. So you really get a dynamic view that, uh, totally. that updates. Yeah, totally. well, I mean, and that's I the beauty of desktop applications in general is that sort of connected scenario. Exactly. And you're not, you don't get that on the command line unless you go explicitly looking for it. And we don't do anything destructive for that information. We simply make it visible to you so that then you can choose to make whatever decision you need to make around those merged pull requests. So this is one version for both Mac and Windows, right? Well, yes and no. So the history is, uh, GitHub for Mac is written in Objective-C, and GitHub for Windows was written in uh, C-sharp. Mm-hmm. Um, and then about six months ago, we the two teams kind of got together and decided that, you know, this was, I guess, silly. And really what we wanted was an app that was uh, unified uh, in terms of the user experience. Um, so what we instead of rewriting from the ground up, because we have a lot of users, right? We felt that mm. would be extremely irresponsible. We've got a lot of people who are relying on these tools. Yeah. We've taken a slightly different approach to unification. We've unified the user experience um, so that across both uh, the platforms, you would, you know, buttons are in the same place. The same behavior happens at the same time. And then we've managed to share some components. So the new comparison graph um, is actually written in web technology, which is surprising um, to a lot of people. And what I really like about it is it's giving us an opportunity to sort of share um, to share parts of our code base in a sort of inside-out fashion. Because eventually, I think we would hope that we converge on on one on one code base, but it's very difficult to do when you have two distinct user bases coming together. Um, coming together under a unified experience. And so we, we really felt that to be responsible to our users um, and not sort of compromise on on um, features, this would be the best the best approach. And it's worked so well. It really has. It's very difficult to tell where the the web components begin and the native experience uh, begins. Interesting, yeah. I mean, I'm, I've got to think there's an advantage you guys having just one code base to manage. 
rather than have two separate ones. Although, I mean, how much code can you really share between a Mac project and a, and a Windows project? Well, so the, the the code that's being shared is all inside the uh, comparison graph, and the the comparison graph has really become uh, the the driver for the entire app. So a lot of the uh, a lot of the app is actually starting to to move into the shared into the shared code base into into JavaScript essentially, nice. um, which is really nice. And what we do is. Uh, is both Mac and Windows have like shims that we uh, inject that allow us to sort of uh, bridge between the native code and the, the JavaScript code. And that's really the bit that we're not uh, able to share, uh, although the design has translated across both platforms like quite quite nicely. Sounds sort of Cordova-ish. Yeah, phone gap. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's, it's a really interesting approach. Um, right. And it's worked it's worked really well. I mean, it's it's very difficult to tell where the the native components begin and the web components end. I think it's very seamless. So um, when you when you talked about it being dynamic and you know just sort of automatically showing the updates and the pull requests and all of that stuff as they come in, do reactive extensions have anything to do with that magic? Oh, uh, big time. Um, so both, uh, both Mac and Windows are written in, in a functional reactive style. Although, like, there's probably a lot of debate about how pure, uh, reactive extensions is in terms of functional reactive programming. I'm probably reluctant to say that reactive extensions is an implementation of functional reactive, uh, programming. But mm-hmm. for argument's sake, let's just say that we both use a reactive, both Mac and Windows use a reactive style. Um, on Windows, we're using reactive extensions. Um, on Mac, we're using a library called Rack, um, which is reactive extensions for, for Cocoa, essentially, um, which has been developed internally at GitHub and is um, open source. Um, so we use a lot of the same kind of reactive paradigms across both across both platforms, which has been really neat when we're talking about things like how do we um, solve the problem of um, bringing in commits, we can actually solve the problem in one way and then have a, like the implementation only be different in terms of the language, um, which is awesome because I'm not an Objective-C developer, but I can pop open the, the Mac code base and see exactly how they've implemented it. And we can have like o- almost um, complete parity from the UI right down to the code base. And the only difference really being is the language that it's written in. Wow. So I'm, I'm just wondering exactly how that was built. And it, you know, if I was going to do that back in the day, anyway, I would use like a web browser control and a WPF app or something like that. And uh, totally. So we use, we use uh, Ceph Sharp. So we're in, in Windows, we're embedding a, a Chromium um, browser. Ah. And we're using Ceph Sharp to sort of bridge that gap. Um, which we, uh, the, the first, one of the original versions of GitHub for Windows actually displayed a, a README, uh, the repository's README, and mm-hmm. that, interestingly, was also rendered inside a Chromium web browser. Um, it turns out WPF doesn't really have great tools and tooling for rendering uh, Markdown, mm-hmm. um, and so that was our our solution was to render it as a as a um, document. Very cool. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Stackify. Stackify fully integrates application performance management with error and log management in one platform. Capture performance issues as they happen without having to wait for them to reoccur. A cost-effective and lightweight agent provides you code-level insights 
Try Stackify now for free and get your copy of the hilarious Developers Against Humanity card game once you activate your account. Use the link bit.ly slash netrocks to get your free game. So uh, are you using the libgit library to do all the the I.O. stuff between GitHub and the client? Or did you yeah, do we, your own thing? Yeah, no, we totally are. So we so both the Mac and Windows implementation use a combination of shelling out to the command line and then uh, using libgit2. Um, so libgit2 is an open source C implementation of Git. And unfortunately, it is not yet complete. Um, so it focuses on a lot of core methods, um, which is great. So I'd say for uh, 80% of the things that we need to do within um, GitHub Desktop, we are doing are able to do with uh, libgit2. And then the, the, the rest of the time, we're able to use uh, just purely shelling out um, to get to, to get the, the um, result, the, the information that we need. Um, and... Uh, in Windows, on the Windows implementation, we use a project called libgit2sharp, which is a binding library that sits over top of C and allows us to uh, marshal across those types. Just makes it really easy for us. Um, so we, so on Windows, we're using a combination of libgit2, libgit2sharp, and Git. And on the Mac implementation, we're using Git itself and libgit2. And then while you're talking, I'm grabbing all these links and laughing because some of these projects are already on GitHub. Yeah, they sure are. <laughs> <laughs> Although I found, is am I correct here? The reactive extension for C sharp still only CodePlex. No, I believe it's been moved over to. I think the reactive extensions uh, organization in, in has, has been moved over to GitHub. Yeah, you'd hope. I'd hope so. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to check that right now. I'm I'm reasonably confident that it's there. I'm sure I've been there before. All right. Well, it is kind of home for you, so I would hope you yeah. know. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I mean, so should we talk a little bit about the whole reactive thing? Just, I think people still try, struggle to get their head around what that means. Sure. Um, what do you want to know? Yeah. What are you <laughs> using it for? Why, why would you go this way for something as uh, honestly straightforward as, as, is GitHub for Windows or GitHub desktop? For us, it's really a matter of, uh, a couple of things. It's a matter of being able to express, uh, really what we, the essence of what we are um, trying to get across. I've always found it really difficult um, building UI applications in uh, just purely using uh, events, which is typically if you were building a WPF application, you've got a lot of like uh, on-click handlers or, right. you know, you've got all these these sort of handlers that are being uh, wired up and, and, and um, deconstructed in the background. And I've always found that that mental model really difficult when programming user interfaces because what ends up happening is, is I have to keep this map in my, in my head of, of all of the events that will possibly fire. Right. But not only that, all of the events that will possibly fire and when they might fire and when they might fire in relation to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and reactive extensions is like a really great way of abstracting 
that uh, mental complexity away such that you're only really thinking about transforming events as they arrive. It kind of removes the time element a little bit. Um, there are a couple of other things that play into how effective that is, uh, namely being uh, immutable types and, and pure functions. Uh, you can combine reactive extensions with uh, immutability, for example, to really um, to really take advantage of, of um, the pipeline-driven uh, programming. Yeah, and I, and I love this because most of the time when we talked about using reactive extensions, we've talked about really super high velocity apps, like apps where you, you wouldn't want to try and cache all this stuff or buffer through and so forth. You just, you're dealing with a stream of, of events coming in. And you want to handle them quickly and lightly. And I mean, my GitHub repositories are busy, but they're not that busy. You know, it's, it's just this idea that this is a good pattern for building software. That's really exciting to me. Mm -hmm. I I find it really difficult to go back to the traditional um, event, uh, just working with pure events and delegates. I, I know right. I realize under the hood, reactive extension is is actually built on top of those, but the the real power is that it's giving you that that abstraction um, to think about events in a very different way. Um, I like to I like to sort of think about events as like a they're kind of like a postcard in time, right? They're like a this a snapshot. They're saying, right. hey, this this particular this particular uh, state, this particular change has happened, and we're now in this particular state. It's like being right. sent a postcard. Um, but the problem is, is that when you're receiving lots of postcards, lots of different events, lots of different states, you have to keep track of how they all relate to each other. Hmm. And unfortunately, uh, pure events, uh, just using pure events uh, and delegates, means that you have to build that mental map to keep keep track of how all of those events might relate to each other sure yeah so this just takes all of that away and just focus on the flow it's not a big deal exactly the other thing that it allows you to do is it allows you to uh, view your application in terms of um, events that are happening in relation to each other so you mm -hmm. can say for example uh, a good example might be um, we might want to know in github for windows when a user has um, kicked off a commit, they've, they've tried to commit a file. Yep. And we want to know explicitly when that happens. And at the same time, we're doing a background fetch. So what we can do is bring those two, uh, essentially those are two independent event streams. Um, we can bring those together and form a new composite event stream. Yeah. And this is really powerful because it means that you start viewing your, your user interface, your um, UI application as a series of event streams, which you can, strings that you can essentially pull and combine together to create um, composite relationships, yep. which is fantastic. It is. It makes you think that events were made for buttons and that's about it. Yeah. Totally, but I, I mean, I look when I'm looking around uh, the code base of of um, GitHub Desktop now. I the, everything is an event, like every little thing is an event, and I yeah. don't have to think about um, storing state values yep. and, and and bit flags to, to say when the button's clicked and uh, a, a fetch is being kicked off in the background. Do this interesting thing. Yep. I can just purely combine the events and react to them as they occur. 
That's fantastic. Hey, Richard, you know what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to ask my buddy a question. So, Richard. Yeah, buddy. What do you call the practice of crooning Barry Manilow songs backed up by an OSX-based karaoke application? I don't know, buddy. What? The craft of mac and cheese. <laughs> Dude. Hey, you know, sometimes I get them. Sometimes they just come to you, huh? Actually, it's time to give away a music to code by set of CDs and DVDs to one uh, lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, let me tell you about Music to Code By. It's a set of 25-minute Pomodoro-sized quiet and groovy instrumentals scientifically designed to promote focus. It will get you into a state of flow and keep you there. And .NET Rocks fans are being more productive with Music to Code By. Still processing many, 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 many orders every day. See what all the fuss is all about. Go to mtcb.pwop.com. That's P-W-O-P. Awesome, dude. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Pritesh Vikram. Ah, congratulations, Pritesh. Yeah. Golf clap for you, sir. Congratulations. You'll be flowing in no time, Pritesh. And if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .net Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .net Rocks fan club. Uh-huh. But you got to sign up to win. And we also like to ask our guests, Amy, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? Well, <laughs> I recently had a, a, an interesting and somewhat enlightening experience. Okay. I've never, I've never been a fan of a, a purchasing new uh, technology like the Apple Watch, for example, because mm. I believe that I believe that it's going to improve, and this is sort of the the first cut. And yeah. I was never really a big fan of like uh, how you interact with it, for example. Yeah. And unfortunately, recently I was somewhere where a lot of people had an Apple Watch, and I was looking around, and I found myself thinking that pretty cool. And then a few days later, while I was in Portland, actually, I found myself at the Apple Store with my nose pressed against the glass like a child in a candy store, and I realized I'd become the victim of, like, consumerism. Uh-oh. So, <laughs> so <laughs> How did that happen? I don't, I don't know. Like, I've gone from being like, no, I would never have an Apple Watch, to, you know, they look pretty cool. <laughs> Hanselman got you, didn't he? He got you. <laughs> he did. He I did. knew it. Someone, someone did. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the $5,000 version of the Apple Watch would be one of the really fancy ones. I think so. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I thought the top tier one, like the gold one, was ten grand. You know, I, I, I can see it now. Hanselman should just be like the the salesman for all this stuff because he knows the the essence of something and can show it to you in like five seconds, right? You know, first time I saw Code that. Rush, he walked up to me with a laptop in his palm. You know, he goes, "Have you seen Code Rush? Let me show <laughs> you this." You know, and it's the same way with the Apple Watch. I bet, and that's why I guessed. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, I went and looked it up. Oh my goodness. How much? So 18 karat rose gold case with rose gray modern buckle, $17,000 US. Oh, now that's Whoa. just crazy. Wow. Mental. That is a lot for a watch that's going to be out of date in a year. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah. I can't even upgrade it. 
I hope you can. <laughs> I think for 17000 they better. <laughs> I mean, oh, that's, that's Rolex money. That's crazy. That is crazy. I don't even, I don't even wear a watch. Like, I, this is. Me neither. It's <laughs> 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 <That's> crazy. <laughs> Maybe if you put it around your ankle, would that be better? <laughs> Might look like a, you know, a home detention bracelet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's right. There's <laughs> a path to go down. <laughs> See what happens when you go to the grocery store wearing that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And it'd be hard to fun. demo, too. It would. <laughs> Tricky to reach, anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe more flexible than certainly I am, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, so what else do we need to know about GitHub Desktop? Oh, the other really interesting, I think, problem that we have is working with with the Git, the command line in, in Git, uh, in terms of libgit2. We have some really interesting concurrency problems. Um, are you interested in hearing about that? Oh, absolutely. So, like, if you think about uh, the command line, we're sort of typically working with Git in a very serial fashion. We're we're typing in our commands, we're waiting for them to complete, um, and then we're executing the next command. And the thing is, with a GUI app, that uh, the serial nature of executing those commands almost disappears because users can do many things at many different times. Um, sync, uh, for example, you might do a push or a pull uh, and you might be on a slow network connection um, and that would mean perhaps you, you're not able to commit during that time. Um, and so we really need to make sure that not only are we uh, protecting um, from ourselves from race conditions, but we need to make sure that we're not sort of commands aren't being executed over the top of each other um, right. such that we corrupt the underlying Git database. So we've had to come up with uh, some really interesting concurrency control around um, interacting with the Git object database, which under the hood is really just a series of text files. If you've ever looked inside the, the .git folder, the hidden folder that you have when you create and initialize a Git repository on right. disk, right. It, it really is just a set of, of text files. So you'd go in there and you'd find a file called index, and you could open that up inside a text editor, and inside that file you would see a SHA, and that points to the current head of um, your repository. Hmm. So, so you can basically go into this hidden directory and start mucking around with these text files yeah. to create any sort of state you really want. It's a it's a it's a it's a database essentially. Mm -hmm. um, it's a data store. And so, when you're interacting with Git on the command line and you're typing these commands in serial. What you're actually doing is, is writing text to these underlying files, and you're changing the contents of these underlying files. And when you've got a, uh, a user interface that's doing a lot of things asynchronously, um, it's doing a lot of things in the background, it's taking input from users, we need right. to make sure that we don't corrupt that underlying, um, that underlying data store. I mean, in the end, this is just a file. Are you just going to lock the file? So, so Git, when you're working with um, Git via the command line, so Git itself implements uh, pessimistic concurrency control. So it uh, will, for example, if it's doing an operation that requires um, potentially something that could be destructive, mm -hmm. it will write to the uh, file system 
and so for example if you're modifying the index it would write uh, a new file called index.lock which signals to the git process that this file is being uh, modified by by um by something right so you don't have to um, hold the file handle open you've got the lock file sitting there so that anybody any other app that obeys the rules is going to see the lock file and say okay leave that alone mm-hmm. exactly uh libgit2 on the other hand um a lot of the, the, the data structures that libgit2 have has are not um, are not thread safe. Um, right. and, and that's by design because a lot of these objects that you're working with are not really designed to be used in isolation uh, mm-hmm. from, from each other. Um, and the idea is that when you are checking out uh, um, you're checking out a, a branch, for example, there's a few different objects inside libgit2, a few different data structures that are impacted by this. And so the idea is, is that you'd have a larger lock that sits over that entire operation. Um, so they've so libgit2 by design has left that up to the consumer to implement the locking mechanism. Interesting. So given given that we use both the command line and libgit2, we've had to come up with something that sits uh, a locking mechanism that sits over the top of both of those uh, tools to allow us to not uh, corrupt the um, the underlying uh, Git repository. And it also needs to allow us to ensure that certain commands are executed in a serial fashion. So we have this idea of a concurrent versus exclusive connections, which don't always correlate to like a read or a write scenario. So if you think about the traditional read or write a lock, you might have um, you might have a process or a thread that's coming in to uh, write to the index for example, and then another process that's coming in to read from the index. And obviously you don't want to be, um, you can be concurrently reading from the index, you can have many threads concurrently reading from the index, but you don't want to be reading while a thread is writing. You want to have an exclusive lock over that object while you write to that file. Right. So we have this idea of um, concurrent versus exclusive uh, operations, which as I said before, doesn't necessarily correlate to that read or write um, split, and that's because we do things behind the scenes, like we'll cache um, we'll cache certain values. Um, so we might uh, we might update the refs, um, which is an atomic operation in Git, and we can do that concurrently because it's auto- atomic. Um, but we might have other operations which require reads and um, caches to be updated in an unsafe way and we really want to make sure that that's done exclusively. So our our units of work uh, inside GitHub Desktop are often made up of both uh, Git operations, updating caches, making API calls um, and it doesn't always directly correlate to that read or write scenario. So we've come up with uh, a read or writer lock that sort of sits inside a queue so operations get queued and, and run um, when necessary in serial, um, and then all other safe operations are able to be able to run it concurrently. And, and I got to imagine none of these locks last very long. No, but no, it's just they you don't. can't have two happening at the same time. It's a very serial operation. For some, for some operations, it is. So, yeah. for example, uh, if we were to clone a repository. There's a whole right. bunch of things that we're going to be doing as we clone the repository. We're going to use, we shell out to Git and we clone the repository down. And then we need to use libgit2 to read that information back. 
And while this is occurring, we're updating caches, we're calling the GitHub API, mm -hmm. there's actually not a lot that you need to be doing within that repository at that time. And it's pretty safe for us to say this operation occurs in an exclusive fashion. I mean, part of me has got to giggle because GitHub, you know, the most permissive source control, you know, distributed source solution is using pessimistic locking. <laughs> like that, I think it's kind of funny, but it, I also understand like you need to, the trick is not that you're locking. It's that you don't lock for very long and it's just so that things follow in order. Did, did you have any problems or differences? Are there any differences between OSX and Windows uh, in terms of that operating system locking stuff? As far as I'm aware, the Git uh, CLI behaves the same on Windows and and Mac, so it would it would write lock files and and hold files. Um, you weren't depending the on the scenario. operating system for any any of that stuff. No, I think I uh, I think I think we're good there. Yeah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I hope we're good there. Yeah. As yeah, far as good. I know, there's no there's no differences, um, no major differences there. We've been able to implement the same uh, uh, locking mechanism on both platforms and have it perform the same the same way using the CLI and look at look at two. Okay, um, what's next? What are you What are you working on now? Well, I mean, I don't want to give give too much away, but we have a lot of. Um, we have a lot of really exciting ideas around GitHub Flow. You know, like there are a ton of amazing things that could be done in terms of uh, better collaboration with with your peers on your team. Um, there's a ton of like great things that we could be doing around um, merging um, conflict resolution. Mm -hmm. We have a ton. We have a ton of ideas, um, and I and I think a lot of the things that we're going to be doing are going to really focus on using GitHub Flow and GitHub to its maximum potential. And I'm really excited about what that means for teams. Is GitHub Desktop itself an open source project that anyone can collaborate with or uh, contribute not, to? Not right, not right now. Um, but I have to say that that is uh, definitely a conversation that we are having and have um, had periodically in the past. Um, for us, it really comes down to uh, being able to manage uh, the open source project in a, in a responsible fashion. So the moment that we feel that we can do that, um, that's a conversation that we would be having. I mean, part of the challenge has got to be licensing around some of this stuff. Like you said, the the uh, the shell or the technique you're using to write for both Mac and Windows, like that may not all be your own code. I don't know. I'm guessing. But, you know, is everything in there open sourceable? So that's something that we definitely have to do some due diligence on. Um, it would be, uh, un, uh, we we would hate to just release something. No, it's uh, not that simple. And, and yeah. Never unresponsible is, right? fashion. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's you know it's a it's a, a great conversation to be having. We we continue to have it, and um, I think once we get to a point where uh, we feel like it, it's a res the responsible thing to do, then perhaps you know no promises. I can't um, I can't promise. On behalf I mean, of you're, you're the calling it version team. three, but is it really the first version that merges these two stacks together? Yeah, it really is. Actually, the versioning story there is is kind of interesting. So, uh, <laughs> GitHub for GitHub for Windows was using ClickOnce, and right. we really are hoping yeah. to 
get off click once and start oh. using Squirrel, uh, a project that Paul Betts has um, has sort of headed up. Uh, uh, Atom uses Squirrel. Uh, mm-hmm. Slack for uh, Windows uses Squirrel. Yeah, um, good. It's a great it's a great auto upt- updating software, and we would really like to to use it. Um, and so that's one of the things that we're going to be looking at in the future is actually getting off click once. And the, so the, the, the way, the reason that that comes back to the versioning is, uh, cl- click once will download updates based on the version number. And we were automatically upgrading people from GitHub for Windows to GitHub desktop, which oh. meant that if we versioned at version 1.0, no one would get the update. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And that might be a problem, a little that one. That might be a problem. <laughs> Just a little problem. Like that it. or you make it a, it's a breaking version. It's like there's no new versions of GitHub for Windows. You have to go get GitHub Desktop, which is a different product. Totally. And that, and that creates another set of problems. I like the squirrel's uh, tagline. Squirrel, it's like click once, but works. <laughs> <laughs> We have we have this amazing um, this amazing image that we float around very, fairly often in our team, and it's got a guy in a washing basket and a um, and a, a kayak paddle, and his laundry room is flooded, and he's sitting in this in this laundry basket paddling through his his flooded laundry, and it says. Use click once, they say. It will just work, they say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that's how we feel. Oh, <laughs> I've man. I've been bitten by it as well. It's you know, it's the only thing it's worse than that was all the other install choices for a long time. That's true. Right? Yeah. You know, for for where it's I feel about it the same way I feel about Visual Source Safe. You know, we make fun of VSS now, but at the time it was incredibly innovative. Mm-hmm. You know, linked one, uh, click once was a, was a remarkable for its time. It's just over now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, remember when we used to still distribute software with like physical media? That <laughs> kind of thing. The new, the new MacBooks don't even have, um, USB inputs now, right? So, oh, yeah. yeah. You have USB 9 <laughs> connectors or something. <laughs> Some <laughs> sort of making up new connectors. Something that only Apple makes. Yes. But they can get you a cable for it for $120. <laughs> uh, Amy, I, I'm sorry this is off subject, but, you know, I'm just looking at it, your bio makes total sense to me, even the Morrissey bit, except for the part where it says you have a background in genetics. Where did that yes, come from? I... I actually never set out to work in software. I always wanted to be a geneticist. Oh. I, I really, I, I have a thing for gene and gene expression. Um, mm-hmm. I find it fascinating. I, so I actually did my uh, degree in uh, genetics and I kind of got into, um, into programming through, like more into programming, I guess. I'd always had a, like, a bit of a love affair with building websites when I was um, younger and we got our first computer. That was really exciting to me. Um, but I sort of got into it more when we were doing projects in our lab that required uh, modeling, which required to write some software in, in Python to to really um, get that get that going. And I found myself actually focusing more on writing the code and less on solving the problem that we were trying to, <laughs> trying to solve. Away. And, <laughs> and so, I, you know, there was a certain point where I was like, you know, I think I like writing code more than I like. <laughs> um, so, so were, I, were you a MATLAB I, person? 
yeah, I used a bit of MATLAB, a bit of yeah. R, did a lot of stats. Um, and yeah, I really, I fell in love with Python. And from there, I, I picked up a bit of um, Java because that was what was taught at the university. And um, yeah, I, I, I never really looked back. I, I, I got a job unexpectedly as a software engineer and I learned a lot. Um, you I got a job as a software engineer. I did. I did. It was that? crazy. Oh my god! This is weird. Because you know, I was I was very lucky in that my very first job, I, I was working very closely with James Newton King, and he, yeah. I, I owe him a lot really to a lot of the things that I I learnt along the way. Um, he was a, an excellent mentor to me. So, because of your fascination with genetics and your fascination with Morrissey, does Morrissey represent to you some sort of genetic mutant that is like a lifetime <laughs> of genetic decoding that you could, like, is there any cross, cross Where are you going? <laughs> I, don't I, I, I don't know, but I'm just going to say he's, I think he's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Genetics is beautiful. Morrissey's beautiful. Code is beautiful. Good. Good. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, very good. Um, is there any resource besides desktop.github.com that you want to send us to? Maybe your blog or something like that? Yeah. Um, so I could, I could recommend checking out, um, I could recommend checking out the help documentation for, um, GitHub Desktop. There's a link to that from desktop.github.com. Mm -hmm. And then my website is my name. So it's amy.palamanta.in. Um, ah, tricky. Tricky, yeah. Nice. Well, I figured I've got a long, long enough last name. I didn't want to put a .com on the end of anything just right. to make it longer. <laughs> sure. But not a .nz either. No. Yeah. Let's go with a .in. <laughs> it's kind of the end of the internet, New Zealand. I mean, it's my home country and stuff, but boy, they get you for the bandwidth. Yeah, they, they do. Really do. <laughs> but they got lots of sheep, so no, there is that. <laughs> a beautiful country. I really enjoyed my time there. When I I, uh, I had to take Carl, I drove him down to Tauranga, and uh, as soon as we got in the car, I said, now, of course, I'm sitting on the wrong side. It says, I want you to know something. Every time you see the windshield wipers turn on, I meant to hit the turn indicator. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to delude you or anything like that. That's what's happening. Yeah. We recently did a trip uh, around the US. We hired a van, and we lived out of a van for... Uh, 26 days or something like that oh, and wow. that's exactly that's exactly the, the inverse you know yep we had the, the same the, problem the other way around <laughs> <laughs> they don't move the pedals why they move those controls they're not necessary it's crazy <laughs> amy thank you so much for talking to us it's been great and congratulations on github desktop it looks awesome thanks very much for having me on the show it was a lot of fun all right and we'll see you next time on dotnet rocks .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. 
And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the MCC. Yes, I'm